books do viewers. If you look at the book that I'm holding up, it's called Counting on America. And we all count on America, but the subject of my book, the author of the book and his co-author, really counted on America more than most of us. Um, I am speaking of Kurt Reiner, who is a Holocaust survivor, who is the primary author of this book. And now I'm going to introduce you to Gary Reiner, who is his son, who uh, helped pull the entire manuscript together and uh, helps greatly in telling the incredible story of Kurt's survival um, through the beginning of the war in Europe and how he came to the United States. So Gary, it's, it's a thrill to speak with you today and to talk with you about your father and your mother and the bravery and perseverance that they showed in getting from uh, Vienna to, to America. So welcome to Book Stew. Thank you for having me. So I also, readers, uh, viewers, I have to tell you, we have a, a kind of strange connection because Gary and I grew up in the same town in New York. And it was through a mutual friend of ours, Paul Kalb, contacted me and said, you have to talk to this guy. He was my childhood friend. And in fact, I just found out that Gary was Paul's childhood babysitter. Um, because he's put out a book and it's just incredible. So, um, Gary, why don't you start us off with the path that your parents took to uh, when they realized, let's say, that they needed to uh, to get out of out of Vienna. Okay, so uh, as uh, most history buffs know, there was a lot of turmoil going on in Germany and Austria. Uh, actually before World War II started and the Holocaust actually uh, began as well. But in about 1933, there were uh, communists and fascists and social democrats in Vienna as well as other parts of Europe, but there was a lot of social discord between those groups. And then when Hitler came into power in 1933, it, those, uh, the turmoil between those groups accelerated. And in 1938, Hitler, at his convenience, marched into Austria. And that's when the real um, Holocaust, as far as the Viennese are concerned, started. And that would have been even before Kristallnacht in November 1938. And but Gary, I'm sorry uh, to interrupt you, but one of the things that astounded me about the book is that um, the Viennese and the Viennese Jews specifically did not seem to be, there was no like instant panic. I think there was the feeling overall that we are citizens of Vienna. There's a lot of us here. I don't think the evil intent was perceived um, right away. What do you think? Well, I think they got accustomed to living under the uh, conditions that existed. And as, as a minority group and a group that had been subjected to pogroms for several centuries, in fact, they had um, adjusted to the anti-Semitism to some degree. And so when Hitler marched into Austria in 1938, they were taken aback because that's when they understood that there was some real serious consequences ahead of them. And uh, when Hitler, again, marched into Austria, 
then they knew that they were in for a totally different kind of experience. And they began to understand that if they didn't leave, they would be in a lot of trouble, but they could not anticipate the kind of trouble that they actually encountered later on as the years progressed. So tell us a little bit about your father and your mother, um, their background, and when, uh, when they started to realize that it was, it was time to leave. So again, uh, my parents uh, were dating one another. They were uh, engaged. And in March 1938, the Anschluss, as it's referred to, the Nazis marched into Austria and took over the government. And that's when they started to enforce and actually uh, initiate new laws that subjected Jews to um, losing their businesses and giving up their possessions and um, not being permitted to travel on streetcars. And that's when you started hearing about uh, the humiliations, for example, Jews having to scrub the sidewalks in uh, the streets of Vienna. So uh, at that point in time, um, they realized that there was a, a real push by the Germans to get the Jews out of Europe. And then in November 1938, that's when Kristallnacht occurred and the Nazis started to burn down all the synagogues and burn down homes and arrest Jews. And my father was amongst the 10,000 or so uh, Jews that were arrested and put into concentration camps. So your father actually had a really, uh, um, I don't know how to put it, he was in a concentration camp but actually was, was allowed to leave. Can you explain that circumstance? Well, at the time in um, November 1938, when Kristallnacht occurred and they arrested Jews throughout Germany and Austria, they also had uh, their inclination was for the Jews to get out of Germany and Austria. So if you could prove that you could go to another country, they would release you from the, the camps. And that's when my father was able to get out through the help of my mother, who used a... Um, a forged, um, well, it wasn't forged, it was a, uh, a fake ticket to Uruguay in, uh, that demonstrated that they could, they had a means of, of leaving the country. So after my mother went to the Gestapo and presented that information, my father was allowed to be released. And then that's when the flight out of Austria, Germany was, um, actually begun, and they were forced to travel to other countries as well on their uh, path to the United States. But before they actually started their traveling, they also uh, went, went to work camps, which were not concentration camps, but where they uh, did, did almost forced labor in a way just to, prov you know, I think those circumstances were all part of the circuitous route to getting to the United States. But that to me was, I didn't even know those work camps existed. Yeah, it was a, there was a lot of craziness going on. Um, so when my father got released from Dachau with, under the pretense that he had a, a, a capability of leaving the country, um, he was given 72 hours, but he had no way of getting out. So he actually 
um, through the uh, Jewish agency in Vienna, was given permission to work at a labor camp that was uh, right outside of of uh, Vienna, and um, Jews were conscripted to to work there under the pretense of helping the the Nazi um, movement, but in in fact they were preparing for Palestine. So it was a coordination, a convoluted kind of situation, but it was in co coordination with the, the Israel agency and the Germans that my parents were allowed to, to stay in Austria and work on a farm labor camp. And can you, put, can you uh, tell our viewers a little bit about what your father was able to reveal to the United States government once he actually got here. I know we're jumping ahead in the story. So, I, yeah, it's true. But okay, well, while he was working on the farm labor camp, he noticed that there was a lot of work going on, um, and he was able to determine that it was likely to be an underground hangar where they were uh, building the um, Messerschmitt. Air, um, planes for the German Air Force. So when my father finally did get to the United States, he reported that to the Anti-Defamation League that he thinks he knows of an underground hangar. And in 1942, the U.S. Army bombed that facility and uh, it was totally destroyed into dust. So it was his one way of getting some revenge upon the Nazis. Well, I think it was uh, it was uh, talk about a perfect revenge, and revenge, that was revenge served hot, not revenge served cold. Um, another thing that I learned about by reading your book was the fact that as your father and your mother tried to travel and get out of Austria, everywhere that they went, they were considered enemies. Anywhere else they went in Europe, they were considered enemies because Austria had been taken over by Germany by the Nazis. So um, that to me was remarkable. We, you, know, you know that these people are Jewish, and yet they're everywhere they, they try to escape to, they're considered like an enemy combatant. Well, what, what people don't uh, understand is that while Germany was um, about as vicious as anyone can be towards the Jews, other countries had closed their borders. So um, they weren't actually considered enemies. They were considered refugees, unwanted refugees, comparable to what's going on in today's world. And so um, the borders were closed to them. And uh, in, order to, uh, in order to get legally admitted, they had to get visas, which were impossible. I believe in 1938, there were about... 300,000 applications to the United States alone for visas, of which only about 29,000 were granted. So it was a very difficult situation for Jewish refugees to go into other countries. And the only means out, therefore, was illegally, which is what they were able to do, um, with the exception of one or two occasions where the borders might have been momentarily open, but then you had to pay a fee or some kind of ransom in order to do so, which is what they did when they went into Italy. They actually paid a, a, a small fee, but for people who had no money and no resources, uh, it did it 
prohibited most people from being able to afford that that capability. But my my parents were able to get into Italy, and then they found an illegal means to travel into France. Unfortunately, as you were talking about, um, when they did get to France, they were considered to be enemies, foreign um, enemies, and were arrested in September of 1939 when France declared war on Germany. At that point, because my parents were carrying German passports, which they were forced um, upon, which was forced upon them when when uh, the Germans invaded Austria, they had to uh, turn in their Austrian passports and get a German passport. So when they got to France with their German passport and France declared war on Germany, they were now foreign enemies and my father was again arrested. This is after about um, 12 months of running from the Germans and finally thinking that he found his freedom, he was once again interned without any real means of coming to the United States. And along the way, they did both meet um, people that really you would consider angels, people who helped them out along the way. So after France, then what happened? How did they get out of France? So um, when they got to France, they actually I have to backtrack a little bit. When my mother was in Vienna, she had mailed a desperate letter to Altman's department in New York. And the reason she picked Altman's department store was because her mother's maiden name was Altman. And so out of desperation, she used that as a as a, a way to appeal to to the Altman department store, the people who owned it, um, to maybe perhaps uh, sponsor them and give them a visa and transportation money. In any event, when my mom uh, mailed the letter, she walked out of the Vienna past, uh, uh, post office acknowledging that it was hopeless. She just saw no possibility whatsoever that this was going to amount to anything. And so she broke down and started to cry. Well, ironically, a woman approached her, a Greek woman who was visiting Vienna from the United States, and she came to my mother out of just her kindness and and asked her what was wrong. My mother said, my husband's in Dachau. There's, we're, there's, I just mailed a letter to New York to appeal to, to someone I didn't know if they could help me. My situation is desperate. The, there's no hope for us whatsoever. We'll never get out of here. We're going to die. And the woman said, well, I'm going back to the United States and I'd like to see if I can help you. And she followed through on that promise. And that's when um, my mother heard from the rabbi of the uh, preeminent rabbi from uh, the Sephardic synagogue in, in New York um, that uh, he was going to try to find a sponsor for for my parents and see what he could do to try to bring them over to the United States. In the meantime, um, my father at that point was still in Dachau, but he did get released. And that's when they started their flight path across Europe and, and wound up in France, where that uh, appeal for the visas and 
getting transportation continued while my father was interned in the Camp A-Day Mill. Okay, I'm going to ask you to, um, because we're, we're recounting all these events, but we're not giving your father's words in the book uh, any time, and I want to make sure I do that. So can, can you do a short reading for us from the book? There was a passage that, um, that I picked out that called Zigs and Zags that I thought would be of particular interest to viewers. So if you could uh, read that short passage for us, that would be great. Zigs and Zags. In light of the current situation, my instincts took charge and I consequently contrived a plan to leave the country. Prompted by the negative vision of Hitler's army goose-stepping into Vienna, I was first inclined to take a train to Czechoslovakia, an option discussed upon learning of the Nazi incursion. Henny agreed to a predetermined destination where she could later join me. Our goodbyes made, I returned to my parents' apartment to pack my belongings. I scribbled a hasty note explaining my departure and rushed out the door, suitcase in hand. Not feeling the least bit apologetic, I trusted my words reflected I would report my whereabouts when I relocated. As I had previously expressed my thoughts on this matter, I was confident that the information would not come back as a shock. Further, I was not alone in my thinking. Entire house, households, relatives and neighbors had hurriedly departed Vienna knowing that the Nazi reign would reap unsurpassed havoc on the Jewish populace. The action of my compatriots conceded that separation from parents, spouses or siblings would be more tolerable than living in a world of fascists and Nazis. Therefore, those who wished to leave did so, discerning that a dire future was inevitable if they remained. Incentive was also driven by the prospect of reunion under improved conditions. As for myself, I had grown envious of those who had seized risk and realized reward. I too deserved a better life, the prospect of the future, as did my family. Dashing down the staircase, I felt no reservation about leaving Vienna. That feeling ended when I came face to face with my mother on the stairwell. Kurt, where are you going with that suitcase, she asked. I have to leave the country, mother. If the Nazis are the future, the prospect of having our own is doubtful. In order to be safe, we need to find another country to live. I will contact you when I reach Prague, Czechoslovakia. From there, I will make arrangements for you and father to join me. In response, a look of consternation appeared on her face. I was then immediately drilled with a series of questions. She asked bluntly, are you crazy? How will you live in Czechoslovakia? What will you do if we don't hear from you? How will we know if you are safe? Have you discussed this with any? Don't worry, mother, I will be safe, but staying here is too dangerous. Hitler is brutal and he is blaming the Jews for all of Austria's problems. If we remain in Austria, there is no telling what will happen. I will find a way to get you and father out of Austria. She pleaded, please, Kurt, we need you. Please don't leave. Not having the courage to deny my mother's request, I slowly retreated with her up the steps, holding her waist as she lightheartedly, lightheadedly stumbled. 
Hearing her sob all the while, I attempted to convince mother that perhaps I was mistaken. Perhaps I had overstated the problem. Perhaps Hitler's march into Austria was a prank, an attempt to merely muscle support from the populace. Perhaps he would have no such ambition to remain, and his soldiers would similarly depart as would an uninvited guest at a dinner party. Thank God we would wake up and discover it was all a dream. I wanted to say these things to her, replace fact with fiction, and minimize her concern. Yet in my heart, I knew there was nothing I could say that would protect her from the truth. For the first time, I recognized that mother understood the real gravity of our situation. Aware of the paradox created, I was disconsolate over my decision not to leave. At the same time, I was relieved that I would not abandon Henny and my parents. Overwhelmed by mother's plea and my reluctance to, to depart without Henny, I relented against my better judgment. Years later, I would look back on that resolution without regret because I learned that most Austrian Jews who fled into Czechoslovakia were transported to various concentration camps. Such was the fate of the Jew from the heartlands of Europe. Poland, Holland, France, Czechoslovakia, Germany, Italy, Belgium, Austria, Hungary, no matter. Those who made the right choice survived. Erroneous judgments con concluded with imminent death. In retrospect, mother's interruption of my joint to Czechoslovakia saved my life. For your father in his relative safety in New York to recount this, to write this, um, I'm just going to read a little section um, and that involves you from the book and uh, ask you about this. Um, your father says, years later, in contemplation of revenge, I often fantasized of returning to Vienna, hunting down the assailants and causing them bodily harm. Fortunately for myself, I determined such behavior as both self-destructive and impractical. Instead, driven by the hatred I harbored, I annually sent them a spiteful letter on the anniversary of Kristallnacht. My son Gary unsuspectingly aided me with this task throughout his teens. Acting on my request, he would deliver the letter to the corner mailbox. I engaged in this exploit up until Gary turned 16, the age at which he took note of the swastika I had doodled on the back flap of the envelope. Unable to resist opening the envelope to see the contents, he returned to the house visibly shaken. Dad, what the hell is this? He exclaimed. This letter is deplorable. What are you doing? They killed my father, I responded. First, they threw him down multiple flights of stairs. Your mother had to tend his wounds for several days. And if that wasn't enough, they entered our premises the next day and stole several of our belongings. It is likely they laughed when your grandparents were forced to relocate. Eventually, they were transported to their deaths. Well, this letter is disgusting. The language is awful. Die, burn in hell, Nazi bastards. What kind of language is that? Gary indignantly asked. In a defensive tone, I quickly replied, language they deserve. I then teasingly went on to ask, 
Did you like the statement that I wrote in uppercase letters? You should only die of some incurable, slow, painful disease. Yes, I saw that, Gary said. Obviously calmer, he wryly added, I like that you drew more than 15 swastikas and wrote die in red ink at least 10 times. Just the same, don't do it again. It makes you look bad. So um, <laughs> I'm just trying to picture this encounter. Um, when you read what your father had written, how did, <laughs> did you remember it and how did you feel about it? Well, you, you can imagine, I, first of all, you have to understand that when I was 15, 16 years old, I had no real idea about the Holocaust. I had no idea about what my parents had endured before they came over to America. So uh, it was something that they never spoke about. So I was clueless about um, their circumstances. And when my father gave me this letter, I, it, it was something that took me aback just because I noticed the swastikas on the envelope and my curiosity got to me. I said, I have to see what's inside. So I opened it up and then I was like totally appalled because first of all, it was something, it was language that I didn't even know my father was capable of. And secondly, I didn't understand it. It was foreign to me in terms of, you know, uh, my ability to really relate to it. I had no understanding of my background in terms of my grandparents, I had our relatives, um, and the Holocaust was just so far removed from my own reality that um, I reacted to, to the words of my father more so than to an understanding of why he would have written them. So and in any event, um, as you read, I, you know, I went back and I said that, you know, I can't, I can't mail something like this it's like you know shameful and he like said well you have to understand you know they kicked your grandfather down the stairs and you know as a result of reporting him you know he was put to his death and you know uh you you need to understand why i i took this action and so i i understood at that point and the dialogue um, is, is true. Um, and so that was really the first time that I got any real indication of, of, of my background. So I pursued that, that later on, but interestingly, which I, I didn't put in the book because I didn't know about it until later. I gave it to my sister to read when, when the book was published and she addressed that particular passage. And she said, you know what, Gary, he said, after you stopped doing that, dad gave me the letters to mail. <laughs> <laughs> that, never... that just sounds so much like the voice of your father. He was very persistent and he didn't want to quit. So, um, you know, he found another way. Well, if Kurt Reiner hadn't persevered, it's like, you know, the old, the butterfly wing flutters and the world changed. Um, I believe that your father and your mother truly changed the world, um, made the world better, made the best of the most horrendous situations possible. And I'm sorry that we have to wrap up, but um, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I think all, anyone who watches this show will for sure want to run out and grab your book. 
so Gary, thank you so much for uh, joining me, and uh, I will provide some information about the book to our viewers. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay. So, books to viewers, um, I know you are intrigued by this book, Counting on America, by Kurt Reiner, who is Gary's father, and Gary Reiner. And um, I can tell you that if you look at all the yellow and orange stickies I've got in the book, uh, we could have done a reading aloud of the entire book and you would have been um, totally enthralled. So please pick up a copy. And uh, I get emotional, but um, this was a tough read, but really just an ama amazing miracles occurred here. So uh, thanks for watching and have a good night.